Well, hello, listeners, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 356 of Sustainable Minimalist, a twice-weekly show about intentional and eco-minimalist living. I don't know about you, but I have not updated my home's decor in a while. We moved in eight years ago, and nothing's changed. It's looking a little drab, if I'm honest. (laughs) My home is definitely showing its age, and the decor is absolutely showing its age. But one of the reasons I'm not all that big on updating decor is, well, there's a few reasons. The first, of course, is I don't know what's in style. I'm not on trend in any aspect of my life. But also there's the financial aspect. Big purchases tend to cost big money, And then, of course, another reason is that everything I have, all the decor, all the tables, all the side tables, all the lamps, they all technically work. So if it all functions, why would I replace it in the name of style? And then number four, of course, is the fact that a trend is a trend. Trends come and go. And I do not want to create waste, especially waste out of perfectly good, working, functional stuff, if I don't have to. If it's a trend... If it's a fashion trend, a home decor trend, any trend, I generally try to ignore it. I try to be timeless instead of trendy. I don't know if I'm succeeding. But that said, I'm realizing that timeless can sometimes feel dumpy. So what do we do when we want to refresh, but we don't want to be wasteful, and we certainly don't want to jump on the trend bandwagon? Because really, who wants to spend a lot of money on something that's going to be out of style in just four or five years? So on today's show, we are discussing the hot trends for 2023 in home decor. We're discussing how to make them sustainable, which ones we should go for, which ones maybe we should leave behind. We're doing all that with Betsy Helmuth. Betsy is a professional interior designer, and she is also the host of the Affordable Interior Design Podcast. Make sure you stay tuned to the outro, the end of the episode, because I'm giving you my best thoughts and my experiences, because I tried it, on refinishing furniture yourself. So stay tuned for that. Betsy, I am so excited to talk to you and have you help me with my own house woes. How are you? Well, thanks for having me, Stephanie. I am great. I'm really excited to come on and talk about trends. Okay. Well, let me just say right off the bat, I need to know what's happening, what's trending for home decor this spring. I have no idea. I really have no idea. So I'm looking forward to gleaning that wisdom. But before we get there, tell us who you are, what you do, and what the Affordable Interior Design Podcast, your podcast, is all about. Yes. So my name is Betsy Helmuth and I'm an interior designer. I'm from Missouri. I grew up poor. This idea that we should be spending thousands of dollars on a couch that then we'll get rid of in five years when we want a different pattern or color just doesn't resonate with me at all. So I started my career in high-end design, working for a famous interior designer, and quickly realized, you know, this is not my path. I can translate this aesthetic to something that anyone can do. So I love to take high-end interior design ideas and think about how we can translate that to budgets that are actually accessible. My clients weren't really asking for sustainable things five, seven years ago, but now regularly on sales calls, they'll say, you know, tell us more about your philosophy around sustainability or how you source in a way that's eco-friendly. And especially when we're talking about trends and trends for 2023, 
Does incorporating a trend mean that you get rid of something else? Is it just a flash in the pan, which would then be bad for the environment? Or can we make a trend sustainable? Well, we have lofty goals for today, don't we, Betsy? We're going to be you know, talking about the trends, and then you're going to tell me the trends. And then together, we're going to talk about how we can perhaps incorporate these trends into our homes in ways that aren't completely wasteful. So that brings me to my number one question for today, which is, what are you seeing are the biggest trends in interior design for 2023 spring? Yes, there are lots of them. But one thing is people are going bold. They are not being bashful anymore. We saw a lot of muted tones, pastels, even flesh tones for the past four or five years. And now dark, saturated colors are all the rage, especially with paint. I like using low VOC paint. Benjamin Moore has a great line. There's some companies that specialize in only eco-friendly paints. But do you feel like repainting the room is a sustainable approach when designing? Oh, absolutely. First of all, it's affordable. Second of all, if you paint, especially using a non-polluting paint, so low VOC paints are, in my opinion, correct me if I'm wrong, but they work just as well. They cover just as well as the more polluting ones. So in a couple years, when you need a refresh, that's not something that you need to go out and discard of, right? You just paint over it. So painting is always again, an affordable way to drastically change a space that doesn't create all that much waste. I'd love to talk to you, though, about the color that you mentioned. You said bold. I believe you even said dark. How does that work in smaller rooms or rooms without much light? I am picturing like a cave in my mind. (laughs) No, there is a huge misconception in design that painting a room a dark color will make it feel smaller. That is absolutely not true. So don't be afraid to paint your powder room navy. Don't be afraid to take that small home office or den and make it an emerald jewel tone. The one thing that it does do, which you touched upon, is make it darker right? And cavier. So you want to be cognizant of the fact that you're creating that mood, or you want to make sure that you paint a dark room that has a lot of natural light, where if you want it to be moody, you can close the drapes. And if you want it to just be sort of an element, but not dominate the room, you can open the drapes and get that natural light or have a lot of light sources. You know, in my house, I painted the dining room, this really deep, orchid, this purple color, because I want it to be a little moody in there. We're not having Sunday brunch in there. We're having holiday dinners, entertaining dinners. I want it to feel more intimate and cozy. And then I painted my husband's TV room a deep navy, um, Van Dusen Blue from Benjamin Moore, just one of my faves. But anyway, because I want it to be really dark in there. I want it to set the tone and feel like a movie theater. So you want to be cognizant when you're painting a deep, rich jewel tone about why you're doing it and what mood or intent it will give the room. Yeah. And just from like a parenting perspective, if I were to paint my home I would either A, want to do it when my children, uh, using VOC paints, by the way, volatile organic compounds, for anybody who doesn't know what VOC stands for, but I would want to do it when they're not home, when I could open the windows. I do not want them breathing in potentially harmful, toxic fumes. So 
you know, there's that. Or I could just use a low or no VOC paint. Do you have anything to say on the efficacy of those lower no VOC paints? I think they work as well, but I'm not a professional interior designer. What do you think? I totally think they work as well. I've used them in my home and in lots of client spaces. They are more expensive. So that's something to bear in mind. But the good thing about working with like a major retailer like Benjamin Moore is they do have a low VOC line, but you can get all the colors you want. It doesn't limit my selection of hues. Mm. Okay. So you're talking about big, bold, dark colors, which to me speaks to a shift towards, I would say, maximalism in the past five, 10 years, especially homes have tended to be neutral or light and bright. And now we're seeing color, like deep, significant color. So, okay, thank you for that trend. I'm already thinking about what I should paint. What else do you see for spring 2023? So this one seems very sustainable, but you'll let me know. So people are really gravitating towards natural stone slabs. Big slabs of marble, of granite, uh, and it's not just for countertops. This could be taking it all the way up the backsplash instead of doing small tiles. This could be a coffee table. This could be a dining table. People are just really drawn to that look of natural stone and wanting it in a large format. So coasters or table lamp just isn't cutting it anymore. They want that big slab in their space. So what do you think about that for sustainability? So I have a couple things (laughs) to say. I know that the extraction of natural stone to make, you know, our new dining room table isn't the best environmentally, especially if that stone table in 10 years is going to be going to the landfill because natural stone is out. (laughs) However, man-made stone isn't that great either. I wonder if instead of purchasing this big, chunky new piece of furniture with stone, could we bring that into our homes on a smaller scale? You mentioned um, coasters. What about other like smaller ways we can incorporate it? Again, without getting rid of our existing furniture and replacing it with a trend. Well, for me, natural stone has always been in. I like to incorporate all the elements when I'm designing. So I think about feng shui and balance, and I think about have I used wood? Have I used metal? Have I used glass? Have I used stone? Uh, What textures haven't I used? How can I make this space look more balanced and diverse at the same time? I think the trend is seeing it in these large formats. So... Keeping it with the coasters or the lamp, I think, would just be doing not necessarily a trend, but just what every designer tries to do, which is bring in a variety of materials to make this place, the space look complex and layered. Uh, so I think it does have to be the large slabs. So maybe we just call this not sustainable. And maybe we're just trying to avoid this. <laughs> well, another question here for you. I mean, does it have to be a natural stone? Could it be, you know, an engineered quartz, perhaps? Or is that just... A no-no. I think definitely, especially for that backsplash that goes all the way up. And I love an engineered quartz for a dining table because it doesn't need to be sealed. It's not porous. So the thing about these natural stones that a lot of people don't know is even water will leave a stain or a mark if you don't seal it properly because natural stone is porous. It has holes and, you know, was a sort of 
organic organism, right, that has cracks and stuff like that, where this stuff, especially in a kitchen or a bathroom or a dining room, can get inside those grooves. So I have a marble in table in my living room and my husband didn't use a coaster one day, just put down a glass of water that was condensating. And we still have that ring to this day on the marble. So it can be high maintenance. Just because it's gorgeous the day you get it doesn't mean that it's an easy material to work with. If you had a crystal ball and you could look into the future, how long do you think this trend is going to last? And I ask that because for somebody who needs a new coffee table or a new dining room table, let's say, and they love the look of these stone slab big, gigantic pieces of furniture, maybe this could be a sustainable option for them as long as they're planning on playing the long game and keeping it around for a while. So that's where my question comes in. Do you see these pieces of furniture sticking around or is this a fleeting trend that's going to be gone in, I don't know, four or five years? Well, for something like a backsplash, you would leave it on for 10 years. Right. And then your kitchen is outdated no matter what and maybe in a little bit of disrepair and maybe needs a little facelift anyway. I think the key would be when shopping for furniture items that are natural stone, make sure it's a classic shape. If you go for a really unique shape with a really odd base, chances are it is going to look dated in a few years. But if you go for like a tulip table that has that curved base that's quite simplistic and it has a marble top, that's timeless. That's been in vogue since the 50s, and it's not going anywhere. So I think the key when shopping for these pieces in order to keep them for a long time is simple geometric shapes. That is a classic look. It's when you get the filigree and the odd base that has like the little person holding up the slab. That's when it starts to show its age more quickly. Okay. Well, before we hit record, Betsy, you blew my mind when you told me that embellished window treatments, like I'm talking poofs and fringes, embellished window treatments, lots of fabric around our windows is back in. And I am transported back in time, back to early 90s, my grandmother's house with the you know, newspaper in the poofs of the... That was the, my house in my bedroom, by the way. I stuffed it myself. The Laura yeah. Ashton fabric I stuffed with newspaper. Okay, so is that really back in? Because I'm going to be completely honest, that will never happen in this house. Well, Stephanie, I think you misunderstood me. Because definitely valances are never in. And even if they were, I would not personally talk about them or vouch for them on any platform. So let's just be clear right now. When I said embellished drapery or embellished window treatments, I meant more of like a decorative border on the edges. So you'll see a lot of drapes that have fringe either on the bottom or the sides. You'll see a lot of ribbon borders. You'll see a lot of scalloped edges. Just drapery that has these more unique features or even if you're thinking about like a a sewing room, that kind of bric-a-brac that you're seeing this textured detailing on the panel itself. But no, I'm not talking about any decorative header on top of your window. I can't even believe I admitted to my Laura Ashley moment, not only was it in my bedroom, but I also stuffed my bathroom shower curtain balance with newspaper. And newspaper and humidity do not mix. I'm just going to put that out there and let you imagine what it looked like after a few months. 
<laughs> wow. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so when you talk about 2023 window treatments, are you talking about hiring a window treatment person or are you talking about going to some I don't know, crate and barrel, pottery barn, some other store. Those are the only two I know because I don't I'm not in this field and replacing your window treatments there. Well, first of all, you do not have to do custom window treatments. Most people do not. In my home, I have standard windows and I've treated them all with retail drapes, which means I clicked and bought it online. Some people do prefer going custom, right? And then that's a whole process and it certainly adds to timeline and cost. And if you have floor-to-ceiling windows or something really extreme, you might find that you're in that group. But most of us have standard windows. And the thing I love about drapes is that they add a splash of color. So if you didn't want to repaint your room, you know, you could go for that dark, saturated color with your drapes and get that same punch. It's easier to change out a drape than, say, the wall paint. But the other thing I love about drapes, and you'll tell me if this is sustainable, is that if you have a historic home like mine, my home is old and the windows are original, it can get a little drafty. And so... I love that the curtains not only block the draft, and you can get insulated curtains, you can add a lining, but the other thing is that if you live in a city environment, like many of my clients do, you can get soundproofing drapes. So they have an additional lining that helps to muffle the sound from the outside. So even though I lived in the suburbs, we had a lot of leaf blowers. You guys have a lot of leaf floors. I mean, somebody was always leaf blowing, even when there were no leaves. I'm like, it's winter. Why am I hearing leaf blowers. Anyway, uh, the soundproof drapes are really nice as well. And when I'm saying embellished, you're probably not going to find those at, say, a crate and barrel that offers more sort of classic pieces. You'll be finding this at a place like Anthropology, World Market, Target, places that kind of cater to those trends. Interesting. Yeah. As you're talking, Betsy, I'm thinking, you know, I believe my listener base is largely minimalist and they like the minimalist aesthetic. And so I'm not sure that they would go for the embellished fringy window treatments. Like I personally wouldn't. I don't care if they're in style or not. I love the look of a window without the excess because I do feel as though a lot of times the excess inhibits the natural light from coming in and I don't have a lot to begin with. So that's just my personal taste. But you do bring up a really good point there, which is if the treatment, and in most cases, it's usually actually the blind, if the treatment is well fitted to your window, it can be a great insulator, especially if your windows are old and leaky like mine are. So that would be a really sustainable thing. If you have some money and you want to get well-fitted blinds, that is an upgrade for your interior decor, but also you'll save money at the end of the day because you'll be saving on heating and cooling costs. A blind fits inside the window for the most part. There's outside mounted blinds, but they're not my fave. Inside mounted blinds fit inside the window, but sometimes the draft is coming from the very edge. So I love that the drape kind of covers that edge and covers the sides, and then you can close it to cover the whole thing. But I like that then your window is sort of fully insulated, if you will, on both the sides and the middle with the blind and the drape. So a fully dressed window for me, no matter if your space is minimal or maximal, is 
a blind and a drape. I like the combination of the two. Well, we need to take a break, but when we come back, I need to talk to you all about what on earth we're supposed to do with the finishes, the knob pulls, the, yeah, really just the knob pulls is what I'm thinking about. The door handles, the finishes, what is in? Is it brushed nickel? Is it black? I need to ask you that. We're going to get there after a quick word from our sponsors. And we're back. Today I'm speaking with Betsy Helmuth. She is the host of the Affordable Interior Design Podcast. And before the break, Betsy was blowing my mind with all the new interior design trends that are back in in 2023. Betsy, I want to talk to you about finishes. I see gold. I see black. I see the brushed nickel. I see the silver. I see, I see all of it. What are the uh, most up-to-date, fashionable homes doing Yes, in 2023. I have an answer for you. But the problem is, just to be quite clear, I think finishes are a real pain when it comes to trends because typically your house should have one metal point of view. You can mix metals to a certain extent, but if you're mixing dark metals like the blacks, cool metals like the silvers, and warm metals like the golds, and you have all three in your house, it's either super eclectic or on the hot mess express. So it's very difficult to change out your metal finishes throughout your home just based on a whim or a trend. Right now, the trend is gold. But if you currently have silver in your home, silver hardware on your doors, silver knobs on your kitchen cabinetry, that's very intense to change out. And what's in for these five years is going to be out in the next five years. And do you really want to change your door hinges? Let me answer that for you. No, Stephanie, you do not. (laughs) So I think that when it comes to the actual architecture of your home, it's very difficult to just willy-nilly change finishes, especially because I think we can all think back to the 80s when gold was also in, or like this fake sort of brass look, and we can instantly walk in a home, at least I can, and date that home by this warm, yellowy, brassy doorknob, brassy hinges, and it just looks passe. It just looks like it needs to be updated. But like I say, easier said than done. Do you want to change every latch? Do you want to change every faucet? Do you want to change every light fixture? The answer is probably no. But gold is in. So what I like to do, I just moved from a house that had silver, intensely silver in Westchester. I leaned in hard. The things I bought had silver. We moved to this house, which is of a totally different era, and everything's brass. Everything is brass and gold, which is on trend, so I'm very excited. But my furniture pieces, like my dresser, has silver knobs, and that's just not going to work out for me. (laughs) So there's this amazing product that you can get for $6 on Amazon or at Hobby Lobby or Joanne Fabrics, uh, and it's called Rub and Buff. And it is this gel-type material. It comes in a little tiny toothpaste tube. And you just rub it on any pre-existing metal or a picture frame. I have some picture frames that were silver that now I want to turn into a warm metal finish. And I just take the little tube, put a little bit on a cloth, and rub it in, and it changes the finish of the knob or the frame without me having to buy a new frame or new knobs. Love it. 
isn't repurposing slash upcycling the stuff you already have the epitome of sustainable living? I love it. But what if the, let's just say, let's just go with the, you know, pull example. What if the pull is inherently old fashioned in shape? Would you still use it? No. No. (laughs) There are some pulls that need to go back to the universe. I'm sorry, Stephanie. That's not a sustainable thing to say. But, you know, the ones with the leaves or the little forks, those, first of all, should never have existed and now need to be melted down and turned into something else. So, yes, you should be changing those out. There are certain hardware styles that immediately date your home. And changing the hardware is so easy financially and physically. I mean, it's a matter of two screws, and you can find great options everywhere from Home Depot to my favorite, coolknobsandpulls.com. But the problem is, you know, I would be discarding those other pulls or knobs. So that's why I love my rub and buff is if the style or the shape is still relevant, I can just, you know, a lot of times also in these antique or older pieces, you're not going to find something that would cover the wood the same way your current pole will. So maybe it's one of those cup poles that has a really interesting sort of base, which has either left a scar on the wood or has let it be sun bleached over time. So the two wood tones are different. If I were to just change the hardware, I would see the imperfection on the wood. I hope I'm being clear. Am I getting a little granular right now? I'm getting in the weeds. But anyway, that's when you'd want to use that rub and buff because you're never going to find a handle that will cover that imperfection that's left from the previous hardware. And I can instantly transform it and update it. So I love that, but I have some just questions that I need answered. I know you said that like all the metal in your home, tell me if I'm wrong, but I believe you said All the metal finishes in your home, the faucets, the pulls, the door hinges, the knobs, et cetera, should be the same. Is that correct? Let me be clear. It's a little complicated. (laughs) But this is a very important point that I think people should know. So you can mix metals. Okay. You know how I talked about the three categories of metals just a minute ago? Cool metals, which are all silvers, chromes, you know, pewters, things like that. Then there's warm metals, all brasses, all golds, things like that. And then there's dark metals, which are the wrought irons and the blacks. There's three categories. I would never, ever, 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 and I rarely say never, so so just mark this down. I never mix warm and cool. I would never mix in the same home gold and silver. But you can definitely mix warm metals with dark metals and cool metals with dark metals. So brass and wrought iron are beautiful together. Brass and bronze, amazing. And silver and black is just a beautiful combination. And it helps to make the space more timeless when you use two metal finishes rather than one. Because gold is going to be out in five to seven years. It's already had quite a bit of time in the limelight. And then if you have another metal, it gives you some longevity. Versus those 80s homes that only have the glaring yellow fake brass, right? So that is how I add longevity to metal finish trends as I make sure I'm doing two-tone. I know that's complicated. It's designerly. Guys, you're here for sustainable, not for design rules, but those are the rules I follow. Well, I appreciate that because we're here for sustainability, but we're also here to create homes that don't fly in the wind of the trends. And you're giving us those pro tips. 
I have a couple more 2023 trends I want to talk to you about. And the next one is statement lamps. First of all, what are we talking about when we talk about a statement lamp? Are we talking about the shade? Are we talking about the base? Are we talking both? Paint a picture for me of a 2023 statement lamp. (laughs) When I think statement lamp, I typically think the base because the shade, I don't really play around with shades too much because it really impacts the amount of light you get in the room. If you have a heavily patterned or dark shade, you're just not going to get as much illumination. And it's not my favorite thing to do a colorful shade. So statement lamps would be a base that's quite interesting or unique. We've all seen you know, like the ceramic monkey lamps or something that just really pops and feels like a sculpture that just happens to light itself up versus a simple candlestick base that's just straight up and down or even a gourd base that has some kind of curvature to it but isn't overly compelling. It's not going to be anybody's conversation piece, right? So when we think about that statement lamp, think about it as a sculpture with a shade on top. And the thing I love about that is that, you know, a lot of us can't afford fine art, like an actual sculpture on a pedestal in our home. But getting a statement lamp is something that you can buy at lots of different places. And it can kind of give you that visual 3D effect of artwork in the round. And a lamp does light itself up. It draws attention to itself. So automatically, you're making this a statement piece just by its functionality. Hmm. I wonder what you think about us. So for listeners who want to incorporate a statement lamp into their decor, what are your thoughts on heading to your secondhand shop or a thrift store or looking online? I mean, I feel like statement lamps with a bold and interesting base, like those have been around for a long time. Perhaps in this regard, we could incorporate something old and weathered. I love it. I love it. This is the perfect opportunity to bring in something vintage, something from an estate sale. Now, the only caveat with this is that a lot of times, because the shades are so fragile, they're damaged, discolored, stained, yellowed with age. And so it instantly makes the lamp look old or tattered, or, you know, dated in some way. And the problem is you can't just buy a replacement lampshade at Pottery Barn and throw it on, or at Walmart and know that it's going to fit this lamp. There's actually a lot of equations online as to the scale of the shade based on the scale of the lamp. So it starts to get a little complicated. And what I would prefer that you do, if you have the resources, is take your statement base to a lampshade person. In New York City, we have a lot of those. Uh, There's like a whole district for lighting, but in a lot of communities, you may not have a lampshade person. But I take that vintage lamp into the lampshade person and they not only fit it proportionally, but also they fit it The hardware at the top is called the harp and the finial. And if they don't align just right, you're going to have a shade that wobbles all the time or that shifts around and doesn't stay centered on the lamp. So a lot of my clients are like, Betsy, let me change my shade for something colorful and playful. It is not that easy. And sometimes it does not fit well and actually, you know, harms the function of the lamp. So it turns out to be kind of an expensive endeavor. Just telling you, full full disclosure. 
Well, how much does a shade cost? I mean, ballpark. If you go to a shade person, a lot. Because these are people who specialize in this or have an inventory of specialty shades. And, you know, the vintage shades were made a little bit differently in terms of their connections than a contemporary lamp. I personally do not recommend for my clients that we find a different shade with any lamp base. If they can't come together and look fresh, then I'll have to buy new because of the extra cost and time. Like going to a lamp person and taking this base, you have to really like this lamp. <laughs> you have to love this statement. Uh, I did do this one time with a personal lamp of mine that I found at an estate sale that I just had this major crush on. And, you know, the shade cost me twice the amount of the lamp. Shade cost me over $100. I think I got the lamp base for $40 at the estate sale. Okay, I have to ask, do you still love the lamp? <laughs> well... <laughs> I used to have this philosophy, you know, as a designer and, you know, I think in any trade you have philosophies that change over time. I used to have a philosophy that every room should have something ugly in it. Something ugly where you're like, what was this person thinking? Oh my gosh. Kind of like a conversation piece that takes a dark turn, right? So this lamp from this estate sale legitimately looks like a piece of poop. Not, it wasn't. It wasn't supposed to look like that. It wasn't like poop emoji. But the thing about it was, it was like this big brown curving, sort of diarrhea-esque looking thing. But it had these two vessels inside where, and as an artist myself, I love having colorful pens and colorful markers right next to me at all times. And so I filled it with colorful pens and colorful markers. And I just thought it was the bee's knees. Now it looked like a big piece of diarrhea on my desk that had, you know, a beautiful shade, and then all my markers. But it did get a lot of comments. And after a while, I did realize it wasn't the perfect thing for the room. So the diarrhea lamp is no longer with me, but it was with me for a long time. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, if we're not going to yeah. end this conversation on diarrhea lamps, I don't, I, that's the perfect ending to our conversation. <laughs> and as a designer, you know, when somebody comes in your home and they're like, what is going on there? <laughs> I kind of realized after explaining myself so many times that maybe every room doesn't need something ugly. Maybe, maybe not. <laughs> well, Betsy, I've learned so much. I think the general takeaway of today is that, you know, first of all, I would just want to say I would love to watch an HGTV show makeover from, I don't know, 1995. I would love to see like, the faces of the homeowners when they walk into their like 1995 kitchen. I would love to just see it with that eye because trends do come and go. There are ways to have a trendy home without completely being wasteful. And I think that we we really covered that today. So thank you, first of all, for telling me what's in style for 2023, because I have no idea. Tell my listeners where they can find your podcast Affordable Interior Design. Yes. Well, you can find the Affordable Interior Design podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. So Apple, Stitcher, you know, all the places, Google Play. Uh, I've been around for seven years in terms of podcasting. So there's plenty of episodes to dig into. And I get into my own design journey as well as working with my clients. But mostly I take listener questions. So people write in with their design dilemmas and I answer them on the air. I show pictures on the YouTube channel. So it's pretty much Q&A based. And then sometimes I have interviews with amazing people like you. 
Well, I learned so much, Betsy. I really appreciate you coming on and telling me what's on trend because, again, I have no idea. Thank you so much. Listeners, show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 356. We're going to take one more quick break because this is an awful long show. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how to refinish the existing furniture you already have to give it a new lease on life. I'll see you in a minute. Mother's Day is around the corner and I have the best gift idea for you. Hold on to your hats. It's mylifeinabook.com. Every week, My Life in a Book will send your mom a question via email. They will compile all of your mom or the mom in your life's answers and create a legacy keepsake book. The book becomes something you and future generations can treasure forever. I gave both my mother and my mother-in-law my life in a book, and they've already started responding to the prompts. When my mother-in-law received her first prompt, she said, oh my goodness, what a thoughtful gift. And that's what we all want, right? We all want to give thoughtful gifts. So check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SUSTAINABLE at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day, mylifeinabook.com, and use code SUSTAINABLE for 10% off today. And we're back one more time. As promised, I wanted to talk to you about my new hobby, which is refinishing old furniture. I score the furniture on buy nothing. I've bought a couple pieces used on Facebook Marketplace, but I get the good quality, old, weathered, scratched, just showing its age furniture, and I have been refinishing it myself. I had a guest on. It was Marianne Canada. I forget which episode it was, but I'll figure it out and I'll link to it in the show notes. But she was a um, producer over at HGTV. And when she was on the show, she said, you know, if you have old but quality furniture, just refinish it yourself. It's not hard. And when she said that, I thought to myself, oh, heck no. If there's somebody who's going to screw up refinishing furniture, it's going to be me. And so I thought that doesn't sound easy. That doesn't sound like a weekend project. I'm not, I'm not on board. However, fast forward a year and a half, and here we are. I have gone two separate routes. I've gone the stripping and staining route and also the chalk paint route. And I am here to echo Marianne's words, which are, it actually is quite easy. And if I can do it, then you can do it too. So I really just want to give you guys an overview really quick for those of you who have never refinished anything and you are scared (laughs) because I was very scared. The first route you could go, if so I think this route is perfect for those quality pieces of really nice, solid wood that just like, they just, you want to see the wood grain because it's quality wood. You do not want to chalk paint those. You want to put in the extra time and elbow grease and strip it and then stain it yourself. The pros to stripping and staining are... The big one, in my view, is that stripping and restaining allows you to see the graining of the wood. Real wood has beautiful graining. And if you paint over it, you're going to lose it. You're going to cover it up. So in my opinion, if you have some really quality wood pieces that need an update, a refresh, stripping and staining is the way to go. I got off of my Buy Nothing group an entire set of Pottery Barn living room furniture. So console table, coffee table, and two end tables. 
they are in those timeless geometric shapes that Betsy talked about today, but they were scratched up the wazoo and they were this very dark brown color that just felt old to me. So I spent a good amount of time and I stripped them and I restained them and they, oh, and I changed out the hardware. And now they look like brand new pieces of furniture. The con to stripping and staining is that it is definitely the harder, more time-consuming route. It's harder, but it's not impossible. Remember, if I can do it, you can do it. It's also kind of messy, especially the stripping portion where you have to take off what's on there already. That can get kind of gross, but don't let that dissuade you because you can spend maybe $100 on the stripper and the stainer and the brush and the cloth, and you can take a many thousand dollar piece of furniture and bring it into the 2023 and keep it for another hundred years. So that's stripping and staining. The other route you can go, of course, is chalk painting, not to be confused with chalkboard paint. This is chalk paint. I used Annie Sloan. There's a lot of brands out there. I used Annie Sloan. You should, if you're considering this, check her out. She has, I'm I'm not getting paid for this, by the way, but I found her paints and her tutorials online and her color selection to be A++. The pros to chalk paint is it's super easy, super quick. You don't have to strip anything. You don't have to sand anything. You can literally just take a piece of furniture and start painting on top of it. The chalk paint will bond to anything almost anything. <laughs> so you, if you have something that's heavily lacquered, you can put chalk paint on top and you're good. You'll need to do two coats and then you'll need to do a wax coat. But anyway, that's a little bit deeper into the woods than I wanted to go. So the pro is it's really simple, two coats and a wax coat and you're done. No mess, no stripping, no staining. The con is, again, you're painting over wood. So if it's real wood, you really want to make sure that chalk paint is the way to go because you will be losing all the natural graining that, in my opinion, is one of the biggest beauties of real wood. I'm also a potential con. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if chalk paint is going to hold up over time or whether it's going to ding and scratch and chip. I just recently took an entire bedroom set, so a canopy bed and two bedside tables, and I chalk painted them navy blue, and they look absolutely amazing. The bed looked like it was straight out of the 1700s with these big ornate pillars, and now they look phenom. So I don't know if it's going to hold up. Reach out, reach back out in a year and I'll let you know. But those are two options. And I wanted to put this out there into the universe so that you can potentially consider it for those furniture items that still work, right? They still hold stuff. They still look good, but they could look better. And if so, if you have any questions, join our closed Facebook group, The group is what gave me the motivation and the important information to be able to do this. They told me exactly what to do, what to buy, how to do it, everything. And if you don't have Facebook or you're not on social media, you can just email me and I'll help you out. So hopefully some inspiration there. I will see you on Thursday. Reach out if you need me and take care.